0: Living the Word Today.
1: So, every time we open this book, it is a fresh opportunity for God to talk to us. Let's make sure, let's make very sure that we are listening to what He wants to say to us.
0: LivingTheWordToday.com. Look,
1: the message of the Bible does indeed prepare us for eternity, but it also prepares us for the day we are currently living.
0: Welcome to Living the Word Today. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is not only to understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word.
1: All right, today we're going to continue our series we've entitled The Heart of Christmas. Sort of looking at the the motivation and some of the the heart, the, the, the emotion and the uh, that inner uh, reality of, of Christmas. We all sort of know the details and uh, know the stories well. So I just sort of kind of, let's kind of look a little deeper if uh, we can. Last week we looked at the subject of love, and we looked at uh, John three sixteen. 16. What, what was God's motivation? What was God thinking when he sent his only begotten son into this world to be born and to be laid in a manger and all the rest of it? Well, it was God's love. It was part and parcel of his nature. And we saw some of those aspects of what that love drove him indeed to do. Today we want to talk about hope. Hope. Hal Lindsey has a quote that maybe some of you heard, but he uh, years ago in one of his books he wrote this. He said, humans can live about 40 days without food. We can live about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, and about one second without hope. And I think you would on some level say that that is true. Is there a reason to go on? Is there anything out there? Is there anything that you can count on? Is there anything that I could just lean into and say, that's my hope? Well, I want to share with you this morning of uh, two individuals you meet here in Luke chapter 2. It's not directly related to the Christmas story. This takes place about a month and a half. After Jesus' birth, but we sort of kind of put it all into that same early childhood story of his. And uh, these people step onto the stage, uh, sort of unannounced, no introduction, just sort of here they are and a little bit about them and what happened. And uh, we also understand that this was a tough time for Israel. These were the people who had descended from Abraham and Sarah, the people to whom God made an unconditional covenant that they would have a land. That there would be a nation, that God was going to bless them, God was going to be their God, that the real God, the, the, the only God that really existed was their God, and he was going to do all these amazing things for them. And In their experience, it didn't seem as if it was working out quite as grand as they would have anticipated. There's reasons for that, and it's never God's fault. When there's uh, something going wrong, it's always ours. But uh, it had been about 400 years since there had been a writing revelationary prophet that had spoken. So from the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, until you open the New Testament with the Gospels, it's been about 400 years, and it's just as if God went mute, silent. And then you add to that the fact that they were an oppressed people. They were were living in their land. They could worship their God. They had certain amounts of, of freedom, but for the most part, they were living in bondage under the iron fist of imperial rome it was tough they were taxed they were economically abused they were physically abused they they just had it really really difficult and so where's god in all this this is what i signed up for and then you meet two people one of the two particularly as we'll see in just a moment because we have a little more on her life it was a life that did not match the template of what they would have designed or thought would be a life that would be pristine and would be honorable and preferable. So let's run into these two folks, and let's see what we can learn about hope this morning. If you want to pick it up in verse 22, Luke chapter 2. Speaking of Mary, it says this, "And and, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And there you see in 23, that's a quote, Old Testament quote. Whenever you see it in italics, most English versions will give you that. It's quoted from the Old Testament. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, just a little side note here. There's actually two things going on. Uh, her purification, when she could now re-enter society and come be ceremonially uh, uh, clean again to enter into worship and so forth, that would take 40 days. Take place 40 days after the birth of a child. So that's going on. Those two pigeons or those turtle doves that she offered was an offering for God's goodness to her in, in this moment of, of being ritually clean again. And then it says uh, in, in this in this section to present him to the Lord. The end of verse 22. Also in the Old Testament. The firstborn male child of every family, God says, they belong to me. They're mine. So what would happen was you would make a five-shekel offering to any priest, and you, in essence, would redeem that child to yourself. Now, we understand that's symbolic, but it was a way of thinking that God deserves the first and the firstborn and so forth, and you would pay this little uh, this offering, and you would receive him back. So that's what's going on. They're doing everything that, the, that, that was expected of them under the law. And in the midst of coming into the temple, coming into Jerusalem, uh, when all this is taking place, they run into two unexpected people. Verse 25 gives us the first one. And behold, there was a man of Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, Luke goes to some length to tell us that this person who's going to be one of the very first to identify that Jesus was not just one other Jewish baby that was coming to do what they always did with Jewish babies, but that Jesus indeed was the one God had promised to restore things and to get everything back in order, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, that he was the Savior. But he says, this man had some credentials, and Luke makes sure you understand. The one that's doing identifying had the credentials to identify him. And here you see him here. He says he was a just man and devout. His lifestyle matched what he believed. And he was devout meant he was worshiping. He, he He was Torah compliant. He kept the law of the Old Testament. And he says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'm going to save that for later. And it says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. God, the person of the Spirit, was upon this person, working and directing and guiding and empowering. So the first person that steps on the stage, Luke, is dropping a big hint. He is fully qualified to say what he's about to say about Jesus. Because Luke is building a case in his book so that when you and I read it, that you and I know that this one that that he's writing about, Jesus, indeed is the one that we read about in the Old Testament. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And this is that one, that forever one that we've already sung about this morning. Verse 26, one more little note before we get into the interaction with Mary and Joseph. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, just, uh, just maybe a good place to say it. The word Christ means one who is anointed. That is a synonym for Messiah. You could all, they're different words, but meaning-wise you could interchange them. So God had supernaturally revealed to him that he was going to live long enough that with his eyes he was going to see the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed one, this one who was coming. And I don't know how long it was between the fact that God revealed that to him and before he has this experience. But if it was any length of time, could you imagine that? I wonder if today's the day. I wonder if this could be it. I'm not sure who I'm looking for, but God's going to tell me who it is when it comes, and he's living with this expectation. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So verse 27: So he came by the spirit into the temple, by the way, the third time the spirit of God is mentioned in three verses. So God's pulling this all off. God's pulling it all together. He came by the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, "Now that might seem a little bit strange, "Hey, give me your baby." <laughs> But that was common in Jewish custom, especially for a rabbi or an elderly person. It was just a way of offering a spiritual blessing to say a prayer over a child, that sort of a thing. It was uh, not as uncommon as it might sound startling in our culture. Verse 29, here's what he says. Lord, now you are letting your your servant depart in peace. He's offering a prayer to God, praise to God. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That's the sum total of his message condensed into one phrase. I have seen your salvation. You want to know what Jesus is about? It's your salvation. What's Jesus about? It's about saving Israel. It's about saving sinners. There it is. Which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And if you are a Jew or a Gentile, you're included in that because that's all the peoples of the world. And he spreads it out that way. Now, here you can see the reaction. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is de- destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Well, that doesn't sound very positive, but what he's saying is, this is he's the deciding line. What you do with Jesus is going to determine not only your life, but your eternal destiny. And he speaks those same words to us all these years later. There's going to be some who reject him, and it's going to be a cause of great controversy among the people. And then he, then he gives a statement that's chilling and heartfelt. But he says this, Yes, the sword shall pierce your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse, verse 34. Let me back up. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, for Simon should be spoken against. I want you to hear that he's speaking to Mary here. Yes, the sword shall pierce your own soul also. And we also know that Mary, Jesus' mother, was at the cross some three decades later. And that's fulfilled. Then verse 36, we read read, uh, character number two. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers day and night. So again, Luke goes to the detail of telling us, is this person qualified to speak to Jesus' identity? And indeed she is, because it says that uh, she was a, 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 a descendant of Abraham through the tribe of Asher. And it says that she did not depart from the temple. She was where God was. She served God with fastings and prayers day and night. So she has those spiritual qualifications in 38. And coming in at that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. Luke does not record her prayer, but she offers thanks to the Lord. And spoke of him to all who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Now you might say, where is hope in that? Where is hope in that? Well, it's in the descriptor that you see that overlaps both of these people. You see it right here in verse 38 where it says... Those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. She was looking for something. There was a group of people who were looking for something. If you go back up in verse 25, it speaks of Simeon. You see this phrase: "He was a just and he was a man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel." Waiting for and looking for is the same idea. They were anticipating. They were on the lookout for. And in that, that's where hope is seen in very stark 3D, 4K definition relief for us. Because he'd been waiting around. I don't know how old Simeon was. We kind of picture him as elderly. At least I do. It doesn't give his age. But he'd been waiting for some time since God says, you're going to see him, you're going to see him, you're not going to die. And maybe he was feeling like it was getting close. Maybe he felt like there's more years behind me than there is years in front of me. And it had been 400 years that they hadn't heard from God. And they were oppressed and times were tough and things didn't seem to ever be getting better. It was just another year of slogging through, enduring all of the tyranny and all the oppression and all the things that were around them. And then you had the superstructure of their spiritual uh, uh, Reality, led primarily by the Pharisees, dominated by Herod, who said he was a king of the Jews, but he was neither a king nor a Jew in reality. Then you have this overlay of of the Roman occupation. It was just tough every single day of their lives. But he was looking for something. He was waiting for something. She was looking for something. That is hope. Now, I've been working on a definition of hope because if I can't get a definition in my mind that makes sense, then it's kind of hard to communicate effectively with you. So uh, this, is, this is my working definition of hope. Hope is simply this, confidence that what is not yet will be. Confidence in what is not yet, it's, it's there, you're, you're expecting it, but it has not arrived yet. It's delayed, it's waiting, it's in the future, it's out there, but it will be. It will be. Now, those words you see on the screen just kind of lay there. I, I think there's some meaning to them, but I, I don't want them to lay there anemic and kind of kind of weak. I want to highlight them. Both of the phrases that you see in verse 25 where it says he wait, was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and what you see in verse 38 where it says all those who look for the redemption in, Israel, in Jerusalem is a special construction. I know I always hesitate to talk about Greek, uh, you know, words or, or grammar, those sorts of things, because some of you are very learned in the group, but uh, the construction of that phrase, those two phrases, is what's known as a periphrastic participle. You're, you're impressed with that? Drop that into your noontime conversation and with someone around the dinner table, and you will sound so smart. But it's a verbal form, participle, and a periphrastic means there's something added to it to intensify it. For instance, if you said, hey, would you like a piece of my fudge that I made at home? I could say, I, I, would you try that? I'd say, I'd be happy to. But if I really want to intensify it, I'd say, I'd be more than happy to. It's that sort of thing. It's just an added little bonus reality to say, this is really important. And what he's saying here, as he puts this into the text as these people speak these words, is, he was looking... She was looking, he was waiting, she was waiting. They were anticipating, and every day of their lives, they were on the hunt. They were leaning in. This didn't just sit in their mind in some sort of stale, factual little file folder filed away for future reference. This was affecting their emotions. This was affecting their being. This was affecting their mental health. This was affecting their worship. This was affecting their relationships. This was what was driving them. They were living with hope that what was not yet indeed will be. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, We have some things filed away that are not yet. Uh, How about we try on things like heaven, eternal life, living forever, all that goes with it, being in the the presence of God himself, being face to face with Jesus in all of his glory, serving him in some capacity for all eternity. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you you don't have any problem accepting that as a fact. But in the current status where we seem to be a little oppressed. Where it seems like it's been a long time getting to where we want to get. Where it seems as if there is little hope and there are frankly stark moments when it's almost no hope. Where we look around life. Did you get that about this lady? She would lived with a husband for seven years after her marriage and then he dies and she's lived another 84 years as a widow. There's no mention of children, so we'd assume she probably had no one else to care for her, which in their society left you completely vulnerable and destitute. How did she handle it? She just went to the temple praised God every day. She just praised God anyway. But for, for decades, for decades, for decades, she'd been living under the difficulty of a life that I would guarantee you did not match her expectations of where she thought she'd be in life. She thought she'd have a husband to take her hand As her legs got wobbly and unsteady, she grew old and helped her through life. She thought that she'd have children that she would raise and someday she would be able to nestle a grandchild in her arms. Disappointment, yes. Delay, yes. But she says, it says this about her. She'd looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Hope is that leaning in, that extra added oomph, of us saying, hope is this, saying, there's better coming. And it's part of my life. It's going to be part of my story. The only thing about it that is not in full reality and great, great display now is because I just haven't reached that point, but it's coming. Some of you have this spirit experience. Now, we're, we're kind of, you know, at our age, okay, we sent all the kids out of the room, okay? Uh, so, we, you know, we've lost all the people that really enjoy Christmas just left the room. Now, we like Christmas, Okay. But do you remember when you were a kid and it was like Christmas Eve and there was something under the tree or you really wanted some special cool toy that now if you bought it on eBay it would cost you a fortune, right? You know, some of those things. And you just, you just had that anticipation. You, just, you couldn't sleep. You were so excited because something good is coming. I hope you don't have a story where you were disappointed. And, uh, but, uh, but nonetheless, that's the kind of feeling. That's how we should approach this. That's what God wants to do in our hearts. What's the heart of Christmas? Hope that we anticipate. You understand, okay, this is is not a novel thought. This is not a deep thought, but I want you to think it. Christmas is not the end of the story. Christmas is not the end of the story of what God had prophetically said would be done. Christmas is not the end of the story of Jesus. Christmas is not the end of the story of what he would do with Israel. And Christmas is not the end of the story of what he has done with you because there's the cross, there's the resurrection, there's the ascension, there's the church. And there's a whole lot more left to that story, his story, Israel's story, and your story. that is yet to come. We share just a few quick things with you about how this process of developing hope takes place. Number one, hope is established by what has been spoken. How did Simeon and Anna get this hope? Well, they were believing in something God had said, and God had said someday he would visit his people, that this child who was given the son would be born, that God had something very special yet future, how much of that they understood. We look back with eyes of the, the first coming of Christ being complete, we see it with more completeness. We understand that he had to, not just coming to be a king, although he's always been a king, always will be a king, but he had to be the suffering servant, to be the lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. Because we just brought in a kingdom and each of us were still individually lost because sin's price had not been paid, it doesn't profit us any. A better life is only as good as the life and as long as the life lasts. But eternal life is is, is exactly as it says. So they believed in what God has said. You want to have some hope? You want to get above the average and above the normal of just like my mood and my outlook is based on what I'm experiencing around me? By the way, that often is a losing proposition, isn't it? And that doesn't mean you can't find some joy in life and you can't have great relationships and all that. But this world is a rather cold and dark place. It's a rather unfriendly place. It's a tough place to hang out. But we have to go back to what God has said that he has done and that he is doing and he will do. Fortunately, God put it all in writing. Isn't that neat? Isn't that, isn't that just really a blessing? He, he put it down in writing. You don't have to speculate on it. I heard two people on a podcast I was listening to. People, but You'd know both of them. I mentioned your name. And they got into this conversation about philosophy. What do you believe about God and spiritual and afterlife and all this stuff? And he had his idea, and she had, excuse me, both men. He had his idea, he had his idea, and they were just sort of rambling about stuff, and it was just all sort of Looney Tune stuff, and I just, I just wanted to shout through the audio device, Read the book! God wrote it! It's not left to you, you're just trying to figure it out. But it comes from what he has spoken. Secondly, hope is a step, not only spoke, uh, what is spoken, but what already has been accomplished. It's strengthened by that. So when you have Simeon and Anna coming to worship and identify Jesus as the Christ, they had known that not only God spoken these things, but they knew that God had done something special to his people Israel And the fact that they were living in Jerusalem, in Israel, in spite of how bad it was, was proof positive to them that what God had said, God had already accomplished a lot by their being there. Is there any other people group like the Jews? Like Israel? They were completely deported by the Babylonians. Jerusalem leveled to the ground. Temple destroyed. Wiped out. And the odds of them coming back to this land and reestablishing this, this nation of Israel are astronomically small, except when God is in it and God said he would after 70 years. And here we are today, okay? Israel in the, in the mid-first century scattered, Jerusalem destroyed again, temple destroyed again, until the mid-20th century there was no nation Israel on the map. You, go to, the, you, go, to the, you know, go to the antique store and find your globe and spin it around before the 19, late 1940s. There's no Israel on the map. But there is today. Still a, court, still a, a place of great struggle and great difficulty. And that not, does not mean that everybody and every decision Israel makes is, is necessarily God approved, but nonetheless, they are there. The fact that you are here... Is evidence, and should strengthen our hope because God has brought you this far. And every one of you has a story. Some of your stories I know, some I've not heard, some I suspect, some I've just hit bits and pieces of, but every one of you has a story. And when you tell your story, every one of you is going to say something. I use different language, different terminology, but you're going to say, it's the grace of God that's brought me to here, the fact that I'm still here. The fact that I am here. The fact that I know Jesus. That I, I am in a church. <laughs> There's some of us look around and say I would have been voted the, most, the least likely to ever be in a church ever in my life. Now some of us just grew up in it and you know, we, we were you know, kind of drugged along as kids and if that's your experience, that's great. But the fact that we are the recipients of God's grace. Find that strength as you see him at work. As you know he's at work. Thirdly, hope. Is to be realized as it unfolds. As it unfolds. You know, what we get, and and you think about Simeon and Anna. They just saw bits and pieces. They they had trouble putting it all together. They knew that this was the guy, this this, this baby was was the Messiah, this was the Lord's Christ, this was God's salvation. This is the one we've been looking for, this is the one we've been waiting for, this is where our hope is centered, but what did they know beyond that? By the way, there's one more person in the scriptures that that same phrase or similar is used. And I'm just going to turn, it takes me two pages back to the next last chapter of Mark if you want to do that, Mark 15. There's a story of a man who, the same exact phrase is used. This is not the beginning of Jesus' life, this is the end of his life. On the day that Jesus was crucified, he is dead, He, he dies... And in verse 42, Mark 15, it says this. Now when the evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, notice his credentials too, a prominent council member who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And it says in 46, then he he brought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in a linen, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. So here was this guy. The scriptures also tell us he was, even though he was part of the council, he was not part who voted to condemn Jesus. He was not consenting to his death. But notice what it says he himself was waiting for the kingdom. Waiting for the kingdom! And what's the only thing he experienced to that point in life was taking down the lifeless body of Jesus and preparing it for burial and putting it in a tomb and rolling the rock in front of the door. Does that look like a kingdom? Does that look like completion? But the fact that Mark drops that hint into the text that he too was a person who was leaning forward in hope. Why? Because even though he didn't know how this was going to take place, I think there had been enough hints. I think there had been enough things unfolding that he realized even though Jesus had died on the cross and maybe he didn't fully understand the resurrection, although I think he may have had a better chance of being expecting the resurrection certainly than the disciples did, even though Jesus had said many times after three days he was going to be raised from the dead. But here was a person that anticipated more because he had seen what God had done through Jesus to that point. Are you seeing what God's doing in your life? Sometimes we just don't catch it because we're not looking. We're not expecting. Sometimes we are so drugged down by our feelings and emotions we miss it. And lastly, hope will be complete when he completes it. The great news is he indeed will complete it. Two quick things. Number one, if you know him as Savior, be expecting him to be at work. Be strengthened by his word, by what he has spoken, by what he's done to this point. What you see him unfolding in your life.
0: Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the Scriptures. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you will not miss a single episode. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be Living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.